Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Mill Travel American Express, and Casella Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to WDEV at RadioVermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travels. Well, good afternoon, Vermont, and welcome to another edition of Travels with Charlie, your host, Charlie Papillo. Great to be here with you today. And uh, I just checked my calendar. I didn't realize it, uh, but this is the first anniversary of Travels with Charlie here on WDEV. And they, they said it wouldn't last. How about that? Here we are one year. I, I've got uh, 19 more to go to catch up to my uh, my previous run at uh, the, the, the other radio station. So, uh well, I'm I'm willing if you guys are, are and uh, you know thanks for listening and certainly thanks to our sponsors because that's how we do it here at uh, Travels with Charlie. Want to thank uh, Casella Waste Systems, Casella.com, reliable service, competitive pricing. Think about right now, you know, spring cleaning. These are the guys that get in touch with. They can bring a big dumpster right to your house and you can do a clean out, Casella.com. And if you're on the road like I am when I'm traveling, I know where to stop up in for uh, gas and for, for great food. Jolly convenience stores, more than 40 of them here in the Vermont area where you can stop in and get great food, uh, fuel and ice cold drinks and hot coffee and some creamies at some of them too. And that is that, uh, that time of the year. And of course, uh, everyone's keeping an eye on what's happening with, uh, with travel, with prices going up, with air travel prices going up. Milne Travel American Express, they've been doing it since 1975, and they can certainly help you make sure that you get the lowest price for your airfare. Milne Travel com. Great show for you today. We'll tell you about that in just a moment. Uh, I want to remind you if you'd like to contact me to be a guest or you have some show ideas or for feedback, cpapilloradio at gmail.com, cpapilloradio at gmail.com. Well, we've got a great program lined up for you today. As I mentioned, uh, again, uh, our one-year anniversary here on WDEV. Thanks for joining us today, as you have in the past. You can also listen to the podcast on WDEVradio.com. We're going to be talking with Vermont's new Cannabis Control Board. Julie Hulbert is a member of that control board. She's going to be filling us in uh, with answers uh, to uh, some of your questions about legal weed. And in the continuing series called Vermont Grown, which has nothing to do with uh, marijuana, but it could. The owner of the Williston Town Cobbler is joining me on the phone line here at Travels with Charlie on WDEV. John Welsh, Cobbler. Hey, my from... man. How you doing? I'm doing... Hey, I have one question before we get started. <laughs> yeah. You know that pretty wife that lives at your house? Does he... she still have more than one shoe closet? Uh, <laughs> she's kept you in business for all these years, uh, yeah, John. Great lady. <laughs> well, and, thank- and she lived with you, so she'll get a trophy someday, right? Well, yeah, she's, she puts up with me, certainly. That, that, that she does. <laughs> hey, hey, John, really, it's great to talk with you. You've been a guest on my program so many times. A lot uh, of years. Over the years. But, you know, traditionally when we talked, we talked about your involvement with uh, the, the Toys for Kids program. And we'll get yeah, into that, but... But but more importantly, uh, you know, this series that we're doing here on Travels with Charlie honors and talks with some of the businesses that have been in Vermont for decades, and yours is one of them, the Williston Town Cobbler. Now, you've been doing this for about 50 years now, oh, yeah. but but it's also a trade that, well, it's... Man, it's on its way out. Why, John? What, what's, what's happening? I mean, I just... Well, you know, a lot of things, uh... Back in the day, of course, if you were if you were born into it, most most cobblers were born into it, and they were brought in at a young age, and they swept the shop, and they and they did, did, did all of, they emptied the garbage, and they did all the menial things, and then they as they got older, they were taught to do certain menial jobs, and one of them being they started them out with taking heels off, you know, and then they went from there. Well, it's, it got to the point, I remember back in the day, 
we used to get this monthly publication, and there were warrant ads all over the place. You could go to Hawaii and get a job. They were looking for help. But the one thing they all had in common was five years' experience. So what happened is all those kids coming out of, coming out of the cobbler family said, we don't want any part of this. We want to go into the computer business. Yeah. So, you know, all these shops had nobody to pass on the trade. And they were all going out of business. Well, here's an interesting number, John. In the just uh, you know, in the in the year 2000, there were about 7,500 cobblers in the United States. That number is now down to about 4,000. And if I'm not mistaken, here in Vermont, you are one of just three other cobblers. There's one. Uh, That's correct. There's we actually are. one here in in the Barry area, um, and I'm not even sure where the other one is. Uh, there's one down southern part of the state, Brattleboro. I'm not sure. All I know is what the salesmen tell me. And then you got Bovairs over in Barrie. Yeah. Uh, he he took over from his father, and he died. You know. And then there's me. Uh, there's nobody. The guy in Plattsburgh went out of business this past winter. Uh, the guy Winooski died. Poor yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, you know. So there's nobody. I'm the last from Plattsburgh to Barrie. I am the last of them. There's nobody north. Uh, and if I don't pick up because of the pandemic, we got killed. And the landlord helped us out a little bit. Thank God. But if it doesn't pick up, uh, I'm just going to have to bag it. And there isn't going to be anybody to fix your shoes. Well, John, you, you know, kick out of. John Welsh uh, joining me on Travels with Charlie. He is the Williston Town Cobbler. He's been doing it for 50 years now. And we're talking about that trade. If you have a question, maybe you need some shoes repaired, 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255. John, uh, I guess, you know, one of the real reasons that uh, it's a dying business is because People just don't repair their shoes anymore. It's a throwaway economy, right? You know, that's a big one right now. Uh, I did some research about two years ago, and folks are taking their shoes, putting them in the landfill, and it takes 70 years, 7-0, to decompose. So these so-called green people, are, <laughs> are they're not doing what they claim they're doing. Yeah. I'll give you a quick story here. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, I'm waiting on customers. This guy comes in the shop, and he's got a pair of shoes. He puts them on my counter, and he says, Welch, what do I have here? So I look at him, and, and he says, what do they need? And what he, he worked for the landfill, and he was running the dozer, and he happened to see a pair of shoes, and they looked pretty good. So he, he got off the dozer, went down, picked them up, brought them into me. I looked them over. They were a pair of Aldens, and all they needed was heels. And so for thirty two fifty, I put a heel, I shined him, and he walked out of my shop with a three hundred and fifty dollar pair of shoes. Wow. So, so I'm thinking, oh my God. <laughs> but I, I watch these people that claim, Well, we're gonna we're gonna put we're gonna throw it in a landfill. Well, you know, all you're doing is throwing stuff in a landfill that's taken sometimes, depending on what it's made out of, over seventy years to decompose. You know, so you're defeating the green purpose, and you're putting me out of business. <laughs> <laughs> John, let's talk about how you got into this business. You know, you and I have talked about it before. In fact, oh uh, somewhat yeah. somewhat connected. Uh, y you were taught by my uncle John DePaul in uh, in Winooski. Uh, you were a police officer at the time. Tell that story for our listeners here on uh, Travels uh, with Charlie. How that all in happened? The day, I didn't have any hobbies, and so I. I knew the Depauls. I hung out with some of the Depaul kids back in the day. They didn't want any. There, there again, they didn't want anything to do. There was two boys and a girl. They didn't want anything to do with that shop. I think one of them went to work to IBM. The other one went into some kind of medical deal. I don't know. And, and so I walked in one Friday night, and I said to John, Hey, how about I come to work for you? You show me how to do this. You don't even have to pay me. And I found out later, and your aunt, she figured I'd last about two days. <laughs> well, for a little over two years, I went into the Depaul shoe repair shop, went into the back room, hung, I was a cop at the time, hung my gun up in the corner, and I fixed shoes. And I got pretty good at it. 
So after a while, John felt bad about not paying me, so he figured a third was labor. Of course, we're talking the old days, so labor wasn't very much. So he decided he wanted to pay me. I said, no. I said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to keep track of it. I don't even want to know. I don't care. You keep talking about it. But what he did is he was old school. He took these pieces of paper, tacked them to the wall with the date and my name and how much he figured I made him that day. And the agreement was that if I ever decide to do it full time, he would put in my first order. Well, after two years, I got to know all the players. I knew the salesmen. I knew the companies that sold machines, supplies. So, I, you know, I was one of them. So after a while... I decided I, I decided I'm going to go into this. So I borrowed a truck from Rice Lumber. Uh, West Carroll loaned me a big truck one weekend. I took two birds that owed me <laughs> from way back. Well, I think I put them in jail. I don't yeah, know. that's another anyway, story. We'll get into your police story here in just a moment. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and we went we went to Boston at Boston. Yeah. And and I bought a, a used shop. Brought it home. I mean, some of these machines weigh a ton. Yeah. I brought it home, put them in my basement, and I started fixing shoes. The word got out. People would give me stuff, and I would fix pocketbooks. So that hobby turned into a business for you. John Welch, uh, my guest here on Travels with Charlie. John, I think I have a customer for you, and I know that you are a specialist with uh, Dansko clogs because you've actually done a, a couple of pairs for me, Kaya, who does the morning show here at WDEV. You've gotten yours done? Yeah, absolutely. He, he is only, he is one of the few people that can repair these. Am I right, John? Uh, I am the repair department for Dansko. Oh. Uh, I have been for about 10, 11 years. Okay. Uh, long story, uh, but uh, they send me all, you call Dansko if you have a Dansko problem. The nice lady will give you what they call an RMA number. You box it up, send it to the town cobbler in Williston, and then I deal with you, fix your shoes, make them look good. Every shoe we, sh- we, we repair gets a hell of a shine. They, we try to get them to go back looking new. And I send them back to you, and then I build Ansco every once in a while. But there's very little we cannot do, even the new stuff. So she can just bring them right into you, right, John? Yeah, yeah no big deal. Yeah. Okay, I and also, we have a 24-hour drop slot next to our door, so... If you want to go over, we're closed on Sunday and Monday. So if you want to go over and just drop a pair of shoes through the shoot on Sunday morning, <laughs> not a problem. And, and then we call you. John, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to leave and let you take over the show here. We got a customer for you, and she wants to bring these shoes into you. Now, you can just bring them right in. You're located at, well, at Taft Corners. Right, I, yep. and I've been up there before, yeah. actually, for a couple. They they uh, stitched up my clogs for me last summer. But my question was going to be, I was under the impression that Dansko and Sunita did not provide cobblers with the soles for the shoes, and it's like you've got a great pair of $150 leather shoes. The tops look perfect, but the bottoms are all rotten out. Okay, so, okay, so- here's your deal. A lot of those companies, uh, Dansko used to belong to another company, and over the years they've, they've parted company. Now, over, the, over time, in order to save costs, these companies, and they're not, not only Dansko and Sunita's, there are other companies that are doing it. They have a chemical sole made for the bottom. And what happens is you get a chemical breakdown after a while, uh, and, and there's no repair to them. Now, we, we do a lot of heels. All right, you got a pair of dance goes, and the heels are wore out. And if you haven't beat them up down to, like, an inch, we can fix them. We can put a new heel on but if you need to pull that whole bottom, that whole sole, that's a little tricky. That there cannot be replaced because what happened is the shoes that were made were made for a certain style. So in other words, uh, I don't know, they all got a name. And, 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 and that sole comes with, with that. That style. And after the yeah, but you can build it up, can't like you, John? Can't you just, like, uh, you know, put a little slice in it and kind of build it up? Can't you do that? Well, not always. Not, not always. always. Okay. A lot of, the problem is, is a lot of this chemical stuff, and we look at it, we, a lot of people bring them in 
another thing we, we've discovered that people that have a little defect in, in a shoe like that, and it's not only Dansko, it's a lot of brands, they'll, they'll donate them to the, the local, you know, the local uh, uh, shop that, that sells you know, resell. So, John, if somebody's somebody's listening and they they've got uh, some dance goes that they need repaired, uh, they can stop into your uh, your spot right there at Taft Corners, right? Uh, you know, you're not open on Mondays, right? In about two seconds, we can tell you what you're up against. Not a problem. Okay. All right, we got a, we got a call coming in for you. Peter from Plattsburgh has a shoe question for you. Hey, John. Uh, actually, it's kind of a shoe story. Uh, the, well, the question is, have you heard of Peter Lipper from uh, North Conway, New Hampshire? Oh, yeah, Limmer. Limmer. Peter Limmer. I Limmer. know him. Uh, yeah, Limmer. They, they, yeah. they make a hell of a hiking boot. Exactly. Well, I thought you'd like the story. My brother-in-law, who's from Montreal, about 40 years ago, for, um, was hiking the AT, and he went to Peter Limmer to have boots made. And he had these beautiful leather boots made. He's had, he had them, I think, resold about three or four times. And about, uh, I don't know, it was about five years ago, something like that. He said, I'm going to Peter Limmer. I'm going to get another pair of boots from him. And so he brought in the boots that had been made back in the mid-70s and said, I want to buy a new pair and have them made. And Peter Limmer refused to make him a new pair of boots. He said, these are perfectly fine. You don't need a new pair of boots. I'll just uh, restore these, put new soles on them again. Yeah, I've heard those stories. Over the years, I have resold Limmer boots. As a matter of fact, my son, when he was alive, and I drove over to to Peter's one weekend and bought a pair of Limmer boots. Uh, This is back. You had two options. You, you can either get the, co- the custom-made limmer boot. You're going to wait a while. You're going to pay up front. Or you can buy the over-the-counter over the uh, limmer boot. And, and, and it, all the parts come from the same place. What does what Europe. those boots go for, John, back in the day? Right now, you know what? I don't know. They're yeah. probably, I'm guessing, in the three $400 price Yeah, rate. well, then but it makes, makes sense to have them repaired. Hey, Peter, thanks for your call this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. John Welch is our guest. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. John, when we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your years as a police officer and see if we can get your perspective on policing today, what's happening today. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Keep it right here on WDEV. Got a little BG music for you this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. Corm on the board. Uh, Corm, now we're going to be talking with uh, the Cannabis Control Board coming up right after the break. So we'll be looking for some real classics in there, maybe something from Easy Rider. Uh, Don't Bogart That Joint. That might be a good song for a little bumper music today. Thanks for joining us here on Travels with Charlie. One-year anniversary of Travels with Charlie. And John Welch is my guest on our new series that we do uh, every once in a while. We kicked it off on the last show with uh, Boves of Vermont. We had some um, delicious Bove sauce to give away to our listeners. Uh, John Welch is joining me from the Williston Town Cobbler. He's been doing that for 50 years in the uh, in the Williston area previously he did that in Shelburne John thanks for again for joining us here on travels with Charlie today not a problem not a problem so John if if people uh, want to get their shoes repaired they can certainly do that at uh, your your location in Williston it's at it's at Taft Corners they can stop in there you're not open on Mondays but uh, you're open uh, throughout the week and you also have a drop-off as you mentioned but John I'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, your career and how you got started and uh, as we mentioned and we've talked about before you started off as a police officer and you've you've often told a great story about uh, when you were policing, and it was Christmas Eve, and and uh, somebody didn't have a tree, and man, you hunted oh, down yeah, a tree on Christmas was, Eve. Was one Christmas Eve, uh, I think I was working for the Winooski PD, and we got a call, a domestic complaint, husband beating on his wife. So I went down. And it was on uh, Center Street. That street's gone now. Yeah. And uh, I got in there, and I, I sugared it off. The husband hit the road. He was he he ended up being in one of the bars down on Main Street. Main Street 
Winooski from bridge to bridge used to be all bars for you older people. <laughs> and uh, I went down there, and a the guy hit the road before I got there, and my wife uh, had been beat up a little bit. So I, while I'm talking to her, these two kids come out of the back bedroom, and they couldn't have been over, God, four or five years old, maybe less. Uh, I, I just, they were cute. And one of them looks up, they stood in front of me, and one says, Cop, how come Santa Claus can't come to my house on Christmas? Oh, man. And I, I, I looked them at, and I looked at them, and I said, well, it's early. It was about 9 o'clock. And I says, it's early. I says, I says uh, Santa Claus will be here. Don't worry about it. So they got all giggly and headed back to the bathroom, over to the bedroom. So the mother looks at me. She's got a case of the butt. She says, what would you tell them that for? She says, I got no money to do Christmas. And I looked around, and there was no tree. There was no Christmas decorations. There was a big pile of garbage over. Oh, over man. There. Yeah, and, John, long long story short, you actually you went out on Christmas Eve. You got them a tree. You got them presents. And those yeah, kids I, did I have a Christmas. Factory outlet. Got toys. Yeah. Uh, we got food from Monsignor Town. I took a tree off of Deep Hall's Corner. Threw it in the trunk, got <laughs> decorations from my house and the, and the police department. And at about nine at nine o'clock, uh, midnight, uh, Monsignor Town and I brought showed up at the house with a tree wrapped gifts. And, they, and food, and they well, had a Christmas. You know, John, that's a, that's a great story. And I also I want to you know get into you know your years as a police officer and and what you see happening today and your thoughts on that. Uh, uh, you know, you had you obviously you had the calling. You were in the Marines and you got back from the Marines and decided to to be a police officer. And you know, there's a lot of um, young young people today that are being discouraged from becoming police officers. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I would be one of the discouragers. If I had a kid that wanted to be a cop, I'd tell him, go do something else. Uh, it's too much going on. It's too much. I follow what's going on. Uh, I think the, the acting Burlington chief is doing a pretty good job just trying to keep it together. Uh, I, I, what's going on in Shelburne is not good. Uh, all the small departments are catching hell. Uh, the attitude of people, the politics, it's not good today. The anti-cop, you know, and then, then look at, I've worked with guys that shouldn't have been cops. So I, you know, I get it. Yeah. I get it, you know, but it's John, John, what was, by the way, if you have a question or comment, uh, whether it's about policing or it's about uh, the Toys for Kids program that John uh, ran for many, many years, or you, you have a shoe question, 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255. John, what was different uh, when you were a police officer versus today? You know, what is the, you know, so often uh, we Respect. think of, you know, the cop Respect. walking the beat. We don't see that as much today that respect uh it's a different game it, it, it attitude you know i've stopped okay i've stopped thousands of cars over the years and the one thing that i see going on now is attitude you stop a car if you got a problem with the cop and the way he stopped you keep your mouth shut do what you gotta do and then go find his boss uh, start running your mouth to that cop is going to end up with nothing but trouble. And I've seen it. I, I, I watch it. You see the, 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 the cameras. They show them sometimes. Yeah. I, I watch this stuff on the tube, and they say, whoa, you know, if this guy would have just shut his mouth, and then, you know, they got it on film, go talk to his, the commander, go talk to the chief. You know, and you wouldn't have had anywhere near the problem, and some of the shootings wouldn't exist. So, you know, there's, there's, there's an attitude going on, you know, and, and it is what it is, you know. John Welch, uh, joining me on Travels with Charlie today. John, uh, for the last 50 years, has run uh, the Williston Town Cobbler. Actually, you, you did 25 years in Shelburne, did you not, John? Yeah, I, I, I uh, yeah, I was on, uh, yeah, I was part of, I was the sergeant and acting chief in Shelburne and running the Town Cobbler. I trained some guys from CBU uh, that were in the, uh, the life program, Tom Hart's life program, and and that's that's how I got started. And, 
And and I run toys for kids out of my back room. Right now, so John, are you still are you are you still doing the toys for kids program? Yes, I did sixty years collecting toys for needy kids this year, and we can't find anybody to take it over. So it looks like I'm going to give it another sixty one years. But it's run out of my back room. It's a hundred percent volunteer, and and. You know, I've been collecting toys for needy kids at Christmas for 60 years. Well, God love you, John. I mean, we need it's more people in the world like you, and and it's not just if about I getting your shoes business, repaired. It's, it it's go, It'll probably go out of business. Well, it's the compassion that you have and you have for your fellow man that uh, we need more of. You, I, I just want to quickly talk before we uh, before we break here about a little hobby that you have, and I've seen some of it when I've stopped into your shop. Uh, yeah, you, I make American Indian reproductions. Uh, uh, during the pandemic, I went in every day. I had a coffee and a donut. I have a cake up in the back room, and I made tom toms. And I researched. I have a full a full uh, 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 set of the American Indian art magazines. They're beautiful, and all the data, all the pictures in color are in there. So what I do is I research stuff, and I build something I like. And like the tom toms are made out of. American, made out of uh, uh, buffalo rawhide. And I get the rawhide and I cut it and I make the parts. And they're all painted and colored with the same thing the Indians use, a dry powder paint. So in other words, if you've got a wet piece of rawhide, it'd be like shaking talcum on it, only it'd be colored. Oh, yeah. And then you paint it. You know, and it takes me about two weeks to make one. So those are you know, for sale? And, and I, you, people people can buy them at your shop, John? Oh, yeah. I sold two a couple weeks ago. Wonderful. Hey, what, what, what's, the, what's the future of the shop, John? You're not going to be running it, uh, you know, forever. Know. What, what? Business doesn't – I'm about 48% right now because of the pandemic. And if we don't pick up and get the back where we're supposed to be, uh, come fall, I won't be there. Well, let's – I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. Toys and, for kids won't be there. I will be, yeah, I'll have to find a place to put my Indian stuff. Uh, it is what it is. You know, it's life. Well, but, John, uh, best of luck to you. Certainly, uh, we'll, we'll talk with you again when it gets close to Christmas yeah, time and I have you on to talk about. It was good chatting with you. Tell your wife I said, hey. I will. We're going to see you shortly because, uh, she's, she's got some shoes that need to be repaired, John. <laughs> Keep you in business. <laughs> John, good to Bye, talk lady. with you today. Okay, my man, you take care. All right, there you go. John Welch from the Williston Town Cobbler. He's at Taft Corners. If you have shoes to be repaired, stop in and see him. Uh, coming up next, Julie Hulbert from the Cannabis Control Board of Vermont will be joining us here on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. When I'm on my travels throughout Vermont, I know where to stop for a fill-up, fresh-made sandwiches, snacks, hot coffee, or an ice-cold Coca-Cola. Jolly Convenience Stores. With over 40 in our area, there's always one nearby. And they're more than a quick stop. Proudly supporting local charities, community events, and our military. Jolly Convenience Stores. Home of the Daily Smile. Even behind that mask. Stop by today. You'll be glad you did. Oh, this one's about partying, and, and, and Mama told me not to come. <laughs> Coram, trying to play Stump the Band with uh, with me here on uh, Travels with Charlie. Thanks for joining us today. By the way, again, uh, one-year anniversary of Travels with Charlie. Thanks for listening over the last year. And I, I, I do want to uh, also extend my thanks to everybody here at WDEV. They've been so great to work with and certainly uh, great uh, working with Corm. Uh, you know, who would have ever thought that this would happen? You know, here we are on opposite sides of the glass working together for so many years we worked on opposite sides of the street uh, doing morning shows but uh, life goes on so it's uh, it's great to be here thanks again for joining us today and um, Julie Hulbert is my next guest she's from the Cannabis Control Board of Vermont Julie thank you for joining us here on Travels with Charlie today yeah, thanks, Charlie, and congratulations on a year. I've got uh, 19 more to go to reach the same uh, same number of uh, my previous program, but we'll see what happens here for for That's sure. Great. Julie, l- let's talk a little bit about, uh, well, obviously, the Cannabis Control Board, that is a new board that came about because marijuana was legalized in the state of Vermont. What exactly does the board do? Sure, so... 
you know, speaking of, of one-year anniversaries, we are actually about to celebrate one ourselves. So my colleagues and I were seated, formally seated by the Senate um, about a year ago. We were all appointed by the governor. Um, and our role is to safely, equitably, and efficiently create the rules around adult use market, the adult use cannabis market in Vermont. And then we will also regulate or do also regulate the medical cannabis market as well. So that is sort of the shortest answer of what we do. Now, to kind of explain what we've done in the last year, because that sounds very brief, but it has taken quite a while and it it involves a lot of steps. So right away when we were seated as a board, um, we dove right into the legislation that um, created us, which was Act 164, to better understand what it was the legislature really wanted us to do. And once we identified some priorities of the legislature, we had dedicated full-day meetings on each of those priorities. So, for example, we knew that the legislature wanted to prioritize small cultivators and folks moving from the unregulated market into the regulated market. So one of our very first meetings was dedicated to understanding what that meant for folks, um, what they would have to do and what the challenges might be in terms of moving from that market into the regulated market. So we spent um, several months doing that. In that time, we also got our um, advisory committee um, stood up. It's a 15-member advisory committee that was created by the legislature. Um, We got some of our core staff in place. And then as we moved to the end of the summer um, and into the fall, we engaged in a really intensive process with our advisory committee that was uh, we partnered with two consultants um, who have some, you know, national experience in this to do this. And we really did a deep dive into all of the issues for two two reasons. One was to work um, with our advisory committee and the public to, to make some recommendations to the legislature that they had asked us to make. And the other was to build a base of our rules. So like I said, all of those meetings were public. So we received hundreds of public comment. We spent several hours with the public. Um, so this has been a really well-informed process. And that brings us to today where we have opened our pre-qualification uh, uh, period where people can um, seek pre-qualification if they would like to do that process. That's a voluntary process. And we've opened our first round of licensing. Um, So right now, small cultivators, so those who will cultivate uh, 1,000 square feet or less or have 125 plants or less, uh, testing laboratories, and then the integrated licenses that are our current medical dispensaries all can apply right now. Uh, on our website. Julie Hulbert is my guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. She is a member of the Cannabis Control Board. If you have a question or comment, 244-1777 or toll free at 1-877-291-8255. So Julie, you talk about cultivators and you mentioned, you know, 1,000 square feet. So am I correct in saying that if, if cannabis is grown legally in Vermont, uh, for sale through, uh, through the state of Vermont, that it has to be cultivated inside in a greenhouse? It cannot be cultivated outdoors? Is that correct? No, it can be cultivated outdoors, but it can't be viewable from the road. So our rules have some um, information about how to, how, to, how to meet that requirement. But it can be cultivated outdoors. Um, there are folks who will cultivate outdoors. There are folks who are interested in cultivating indoors. And there are folks who will do a mix. So it can be indoors and outdoors. Now, now what, you know, what sort of concerns do you have, uh, or should the, you know, the, that, uh, whole economy be concerned about if they're growing marijuana and it is outdoors? And, you know, we all know, you know, the value of a plant, uh, that's, you, have, you, you know, you don't have to worry about somebody stealing corn. You have to worry about somebody stealing, uh, stealing marijuana. Perhaps, but the the cannabis really only has a value for a few weeks before it's harvested. So anytime before that, it's not, someone may take a plant, but it's not useful. Um, So what we have done in our rules has required that folks, um, you know, step up some security around that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, folks will be aware of what they need to do to protect their plants. Um, and I, I think, you know, having talked with cultivators, having talked with retailers, people are really keen to understand how to protect their investment. I mean, this is a business investment for anyone, um, and they want to do their due diligence in protecting that investment. Now, let's talk about uh, retail versus medical licensing. Uh, what, what are the differences, Julie? 
So for medical, in order for someone to get a medical card, they have to have, or they have to have a physician say that they have um, some, some of their qualifying conditions. And those folks can, can purchase um, cannabis at a medical dispensary. When retail opens up, any adult user over 21 who has the appropriate ID can go to a retail establishment and purchase. So that is sort of a key difference. Medical users certainly can purchase at adult use places, but not vice versa. So an adult user who doesn't have a medical condition would not be able to purchase at a dispensary. And how soon before we will see retail outlets uh, popping up in the state of Vermont? So it could be as early as May. Our integrated licenses, so the currently operating medical dispensaries, have the opportunity to apply or seek a license. And they can open as soon as they're licensed, and that could be as early as May. However, the rest of the retail market um, is not scheduled until October. So that would be when, you know, you would see more of the retailers that are working with their towns now across the state open up. So how much say does a town or municipality, for that matter, have to say about whether or not a retail outlet can even be allowed within their boundaries? Well, so towns have to opt in if they want retail, and the opt-in does only apply to retail. So it doesn't apply to cultivation, it doesn't apply to manufacturing and so forth. It only applies to retail. So about 66 towns now have opted in through, most of them did this at town meeting day, um, have opted in, which means that they could have a retailer apply for a license in their town. Now, that being said, all cannabis retailers, all cannabis licensees still have to follow all of the normal permitting processes in their town. Um, so the town will have the opportunity to review those, those permits. It, they will still have to follow all of the state and local permitting and zoning processes as well. So once the town is opted in, um, a retail establishment could go through that process with the town. I will say of those 66 towns, I don't know for certain that every single one of them will get a retailer. Um, just because a town has opted in doesn't necessarily mean that a retailer is intending to set up there. It does mean that they could, though. They could apply to. Yeah. Well, and Julie, what would, um, you know, the retail outlet look like? Are there going to be some rules and regulations? Uh, can they, do they name them? Are they going to have like crafty names or something like that? Uh, or is it uh, going to be kind of, you know, incognito? Well, so thinking about other states, you know, Massachusetts to our south and and Maine as well, I do think that they will have crafty names. Um, There is a lot of creativity in this industry, I will say that. Towns do have the ability to regulate their signage, though, and um, they also, you know, a lot of what what the retailers will look like hinges on some of the advertising rules. So in order to advertise, um, the advertisement has to, can only be viewable, let me say it this way, it can only be viewable to a group of people if 85% of that group is over the age of 21. So really that limits things like window displays, um, it limits things like um, signage on buses, and it limits that kind of um, exposure, um, I would say, and, and particularly that is important for um, limiting the exposure to youth. So while they can have websites, they can do some advertisement, they can have social media sites, the use exposure is limited through those advertising rules. So it looks like, um, you know, the salespeople here at WDEV are going, um, you know, can we, can we go out and, and, uh, you know, sell some of these, uh, these accounts? But, uh, likely that's not going to happen either. You're not going to see any, any radio or TV advertising of, uh, these retail outlets, correct? Not unless the the advertiser can demonstrate that um, 85% of that population is above 21. So it's severely limited, yeah. What is, is there, um, you know, a cost? Obviously there is a cost, but the cost of a license, uh, how is that going to be determined? Is there a sliding scale? Uh, Does it, you know, what are the, uh, what are the numbers? Yeah, so um, the licensees are all on our website. Um, I would say right now the, the small cultivator that's open, the application fee is $1,000, and then the license fee is $750. Um, and then, of course, it goes up by there by, you know, size of, of the the entity and organization. Um, or Well, I guess for cultivation, it goes up by cultivation size. Um, and so that's the starting point. Um and you can find those on our website. They're all um, they're all out there um, right now. Only the tier one is open. 
Julie Hulbert, my guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. She is a member of the Cannabis Control Board of Vermont. If you have a question or a comment and you'd like to join us, it's 244-1777-1-877-291-8255. We will take a quick break, Julie, and we'll be right back on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. The waste and resource management industry is a complex, integrated system that many people and communities take for granted. Trash, recycling, compost, we're all familiar with the terms, but maybe not the truths behind the waste industry. Want to learn more? Beyond the Bin is a podcast by Casella, which shines a light on what really happens to our waste and recycling. If you're interested in environmental sustainability and renewable resources, then check out this podcast. You'll learn about waste and recycling, meet members of the Casella team, and one episode even deals with beekeeping. Check it out online at www.casella.com forward slash beyond the bin. Well, if you're doing a show with uh, the Cannabis Control Board, I think you, ha- you certainly have to have Willie Nelson do some of the bumper music here. It's all going to pot. Travels with Charlie on WDEV. Thank you, Corm. That's a good one. Uh, my guest this afternoon is Julie Hulbert from the Cannabis Control Board. Julie, again, thanks for joining us here on Travels with Charlie. Happy to, Charlie. Thank you. So we talked a little bit about uh, the retail lo- the retail uh, ventures here, and are there certain areas where retail will not be allowed to be set up? Like, for instance, within schools and things, you know, school districts and things like that. So that's right. No retailer can set up within 500 feet of a school, and that is, um, you know, there is a, there was rules already, law already, I should say, um, that limited the uh, sale of controlled substances within 500 feet of a school. So that remains um, for cannabis retailers. And we've provided some guidance as to how they can measure that space and and figure out whether or not the place that they're looking at is within 500 feet. So there is a limit to where those those places can be. There may also be other limits, too, as they're working with their towns. If a town has set up, for example, a retail district, that town could require a retailer to be within that district. That is certainly within the town's rights. Julie, there's uh, one issue that uh, needs to be dealt with, and that needs to be dealt dealt with uh, throughout the entire country. If you choose to have legal marijuana in your state, the federal government still says that it is not legal, and that sets up an issue with banking. Um, I've actually, you know, read some stories on that. Uh, there are a couple of banks in Vermont or credit unions, I think, that are going to be doing some of that banking, but the monthly fees that they're going to be charging. Are are well quite high to be uh, to be honest. You know, anywhere from two hundred to two thousand dollars a month in fees. What's being done about that? So the reason that those fees are so high, I would imagine, I don't work at those banks, but what I would suggest is the federal government has said, you know, you can bank this if you follow certain guidelines. Um, and those are, are FinCEN guidelines um, that were created, actually precipitated from what was called the Cole Memo, which has since been repealed. But it basically said, if you as a state are going to have, um, you know, legalized cannabis, here are the things that we need to make sure you avoid. Things like preventing distribution to minors, things like, you know, preventing diversion from, you know, to other states, that it's not trafficked between states, um, preventing it from being part of a, a drug cartel or, or some other type of organized crime. So there's a list of those um, those requirements, and those have made their way into financial banking requirements. Um, and it does require more effort on the bank's part and the cannabis establishment's part to bank. Um, they have to do more paperwork. They have to do more tracking, and they really have to know more about each other, bank and business. So I would suggest that at least initially that's where some of that fee structure is coming from. Um, you know, we've encouraged folks to, to talk to their banks, um, you know, to, to they need to make a good faith effort to open a bank account before they can get a license. Um, you know, hopefully as things even out with the market, um, banks will be able to, to review and consider what that means, those fees mean for the, the cannabis industry. 
If you have a question or a comment, uh, we'd love to hear from you today here on Travels with Charlie as we talk about uh, the legalization of marijuana and selling it and all that uh, goes along with it. Or, or maybe you're in a community and you don't want uh, you know legal marijuana within your community. Let's let's hear your thoughts today. Two four four seventeen seventy seven or one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. That's a toll free number. Julie, the the chair of your board says that other states have actually seen a decline in youth and young adult use, but not here in Vermont. So what will the board do to make sure that marijuana doesn't become more accessible, uh, doesn't get glorified, uh, as, as we see with, you know, legal drugs such as alcohol? Um, you know, you, you see, uh, you know, uh, advertising at, on, uh, um, you know, Super Bowl and the like uh, that sort of, you know, glorifies all of that. How will the, the control board uh, handle that? So the advertising rules are fairly strict, like I mentioned before. I mean, the audience has to be 85% 21 plus. Um, so that really limits the advertising that cannabis establishments can do. And when they're considering their advertising and their packaging, they have to intentionally be sure that they are not appealing to children. And we've just recently done some guidance on that as well for, for establishments who may be listening. But they can't use things like cartoons. They can't use things like inflatables or toys or packaging that really would appeal to youth. And that includes branding and logos. So really they have to be considerate about what the brand and logo looks like and who it appeals to. Mm. Um, and again, the board reviews all the advertising. So before it reaches the public, it does, it will go through a board process. Um, and that's one way that, um, youth use can be prevented. Yeah, what also, about education, Julie? What, what will be done about educating youth about uh, the, the dangers of, you know, using a, a, a substance? So we have a really active prevention community, and I've spent um, some time talking with folks in that community who are doing active prevention work in the schools now. Um, 30% of the excise tax is actually earmarked for prevention work. So I, I don't know exactly how the prevention community will use that those funds, but they will have those funds to do education. I would also say that the Vermont Department of Health has a really nice, um, you know, campaign, Let's Talk Cannabis, that really outlines for parents you know, how to talk to your children about cannabis and how to make those expectations clear. Um, Charlie, I think you know I have two teenage boys, and so that is an issue that's near and dear to my heart um, because, you know, it is something that's available to youth. It is something that youth, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been outlawed in the past, and so youth tend to find it tantalizing, and so we need to um, make sure that they don't find it any more appealing now that there is an adult youth market. All right. Julie, is, in your opinion, is Vermont going to profit from this industry or is it going to be a drain on our resources? We're going to have, you know, additional policing. Uh, you know, how do you determine? We still don't know if you, how do you determine if someone is driving under the influence. Um, um, are, 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 should we be looking at this as a money-making venture or are we just going to break even? Well, I mean, that will depend a little bit. Our projected revenues right now are $8 million for uh, fiscal year 2023 and $17 million for 2024, and that's for tax revenues. So like I said, 30% of that is earmarked for prevention programming. Um, the 6% sales tax uh, will all go to after-school programming. And then the rest would be up to, you know, the governor and the legislature through their budgeting process to decide how to use so, you know, I think that we um, are, are working hard at the board to cover our costs with our fees so that there isn't an additional cost to the taxpayer um, to the extent that we can. And then, you know, the, the Department of Public Safety is working on how to identify the um, the driving issues. Yeah. And is that still being worked on? I mean, there is no real um, test to determine if somebody is under the uh, the influence of marijuana, is there? There isn't a specific test for cannabis in Vermont right now, but there is a drug recognition program um, that is, um, I think, gaining some ground. And that uh, we had a presentation on that as a board um, several months ago, so I'll have to um, try to dust off my memory on that. But you know, what I remember of it was that it was a more holistic approach to whether or not someone can be behind the wheel. So the recognition is whether or not that person is safe to be behind the wheel, regardless of the substance that they might have been using. 
Julie, where do you see future ventures uh, here in the state of Vermont? Uh, and I'll, uh, I know in California, uh, because I've, I've actually walked by this restaurant, they don't sell marijuana. They have a, a, a menu that sort of, uh, you know, goes along with people getting high and you're able to smoke within the restaurant if you bring your own pot in. Do you see that happening in Vermont, you know, bars and restaurants where it's okay to light up? Um, I know that consumption sites are something that uh, those in the cannabis industry are very interested in. Um, you know, from an equity approach, you know, we consider that not all apartment buildings allow consumption, um, not all places that people live allow consumption, and public consumption is also prohibited. So, you know, a consumption site done safely um, is certainly something that Vermont could be looking at in the future. Um, it's not something that's rolling out this year. Um, and then delivery as well is something that um, folks have really been um, looking at and considering. Uh, Massachusetts rolled out delivery. They rolled out delivery um, with a limited uh, license just to their social equity applicants because it's a low barrier to entry in the market um, and a way to start your own business for, you know, sort of a low cost and, and a less onerous entry. Yeah. So those are two things I think that we could be considering in the future. They're not, you know, they're not on the table for rolling out uh, in October, um, but they are things that will probably continue to be discussed as they are in other states. Julie Hulbert, my guest this afternoon with the Cannabis Control Board of Vermont. Julie, if people have uh, any questions or if they, they want to find out more or they want to find out about, uh, you know, licensing, uh, what's the website that they can go to to, to find out uh, those answers and to find out more? ccb.vermont.gov. And I would say our website uh, has a lot of information. Our rules are there. The pieces of legislation that affect cannabis are there, as is some guidance. So if folks are curious and interested and they're looking at the rules and there's something they don't quite understand, um, they could look at the guidance next um, because we've kind of gone to some lengths to really explain um, some of the details in that. All right, Julie, thank you for joining me this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. Absolutely, Charlie. Thank you. All right. Hey, one quick uh, reminder. Uh, we will be back with you on April 25th. That's our next show. Of course, we'll have the uh, Casella Spotlight. Ashley Bartley will be my guest. She's running for the House in Fairfax. And we'll talk with Andre McCara and Jesse Agan from the Kingman Festival. This is an event that's happening in St. Albans on May 7th. They are going to be doing a Queen tribute show. You don't want to miss that. Travels with Charlie, sponsored by Casella Way Systems. Jolly Convenience Stores in Milne, Travel American Express, the theme song written and performed by Billy Bratcher, my executive producer, thank you, Brad Ferlin, for the last year. Our director on the board is Steve Cormier. I'm Charlie Papillo, and I'll see you in my travels.